This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Frequently, when traveling in different cultures or working with people from different backgrounds or cultures, we often get offended or we become confused based on our own cultural lenses and our own filters. And we will bring those filters to the process. And yet, rarely is it really about what we think it's about. So often, when we get offended and think it's about us, it's really not about us. So I want to just give a couple of examples. Some years ago, when I was living in Germany, one of the things I noticed about the country is that it's very organized. It's a very organized, a very clean country, and everything kind of works perfectly. If the train is supposed to leave at 2.26, if you show up at 2.27, the train is gone. That's just how by clockwork this country operates. So you can imagine how surprised I was to see that as organized and as clean as Germany was, when it came to standing in lines, people do not stand in lines in Germany. You can stand in line and think you're standing in line, but at any moment, someone may pop up and jump in front of you, and they may go to the head of the line, and you can say, well, what is wrong with them? And it can feel like a very personal affront, especially if in your mind, you thought you were next in line, and this person jumps in front of you. And so I stood back for a moment, and I tried to figure this out. I said, why would this very organized country have this approach to standing in line that just doesn't make sense? And as I thought about it, I realized if you go back to World War II and you think about the scarcity that existed at that time in terms of goods and resources, probably if you didn't jump to the front of the line, you probably wouldn't get any food that day. It was really a fight for survival, if you will. And that piece of the culture is still dialed in to how Germany operates. Sort of operating on the principle of when in Rome, do as the Romans. I realized that, you know, when I'm supposedly standing in what looks like a line, there are three things I need to do. One, don't leave any space between me and who I think is the person in front of me. And also be willing to confront somebody who does try to get in line and be willing to step forward and knock somebody out of the way. Now, that is very foreign to me coming from an American perspective, where even though we may not be as orderly or as organized as a culture, we do stand in lines. And it is considered highly offensive for someone to break into that line. But I realize it's not personal. This is just what people do in that culture, and it's rooted in their history, which if you take time to sort of understand the history, you understand how it happens that way. 
And then you can navigate in that culture effectively, maybe becoming a little bit more assertive to get things done according to their rules and principles. So that's the first example was me in Germany and standing in lines. Secondly, is an example from Ghana in West Africa. When I went to Ghana in West Africa, I noticed that there was sort of a culture of concern, I'll say, about losing people. And I want to give an example. I was at an outdoor mall doing some shopping with two other psychologist colleagues. And one of my psychologist colleagues, a male, was younger than I am. And so many of the mall shop owners thought that he was my son, even though he wasn't my son. And so we had the three psychologists, we had all agreed that we were going to meet at a certain point in the outdoor mall by a certain time so that we could walk back to our respective hotels. So the female psychologist and I, we met at the rally point and we didn't see the male colleague. So we asked one of the shopkeepers if they had seen this person because everybody's paying attention so they know who's around and who's doing. They said, oh yeah, we saw him, but it's been a while. We haven't seen him lately. And they said, "Um, you can't find him? I said, well, no, I don't know exactly where he is. He was supposed to meet us back here at this time. And they said, oh, your son is missing. Oh no, he's not my son. He's my colleague. And they refused to accept just he's my colleague. Oh, he's your son. They rallied all the forces in the outdoor mall to search for my colleague, and he couldn't be found. And they were very concerned about him being lost. And I said, well, he must have decided to go back to the hotel. That's the only thing that we could think of. And we had searched the place as best we could. So we said, well, we're going to go ahead and go back to the hotel. And they were very alarmed that I would be leaving my son stranded alone, you know, in this outdoor mall or or shopping area. And I said, well, I I think he'll be fine because I'm thinking to myself, he's certainly an adult and can find his way back. And I knew he knew how to walk back to the hotel. I said, if you see him, just let him know that we've returned back to the hotel. They said, fine. Of course, later on, we discover my colleague was back at the hotel. We read him the riot act because we had the whole Ghanaian community in the mall looking for him. But he didn't think anything of it. You know, he's back at the hotel. He's safe. He's fine. In another incident in Ghana, we were invited by some of our Ghanaian hosts to go to an evening event at a local night spot. There were two Americans there, me and a male American citizen. We didn't know each other prior to being both invited to the same event. Everybody else was from Ghana who was on this outing. And after a while, the American male just kind of disappeared for a while. So my Ghanaian host said, well, do you know where he is? I said, no, I don't know where he is. Didn't have any clue where he might be. And so then they got very worried and very concerned. And I said, well, I don't know. He didn't say where he was going. I said, well, maybe he went to the restroom. So somebody went and searched the restroom. He wasn't there. Somebody went different places in the building. They couldn't find him. Long story short, we ultimately discovered he had gone outside to smoke a cigarette. But none of us knew that. And he had no idea how much anxiety or concern it would cause for him to suddenly disappear. Now, again, I thought about this. And I said, what is the concern about people disappearing? And I said, well, this goes back to the slavery times because Ghana was one of the main ports where slaves were sent on ships outside to the United States and other places. And once people got on those ships, 
nobody ever saw them again. They disappeared. And so it, again, is still built into the DNA of the people that there is some danger with people disappearing. And so they weren't really trying to micromanage or be overly concerned, but in their historical DNA, it often meant bad things when people disappeared and nobody knew where they were located. And of course, as Americans, we were much more accustomed to being more independent about our whereabouts and maybe not providing as much information as would be useful in this culture to say, I'm going outside to smoke a cigarette, I'm going back to the hotel or whatever, and therefore not arousing those kinds of concerns. So again, it's about the people and their perspective and what it means to them. Number three would be an example where I was flying back from the Middle East. I was on a business trip and I was flying business class. And there was a man who was sitting behind me from Pakistan. And he chose to put his feet up in such a way that on my left-hand side, these feet were sticking out and coming up over by my left arm. And I was appalled. How dare he put his feet up over here? interfering with my personal space in my seat. And since it's business class, the seats are plenty big enough, you really don't have to encroach on anyone's space. And I probably would have left this situation just thinking this person is the most rude and obnoxious person I've ever seen in my life until it just so happened I managed to get to know this person a little bit deeper, as it turns out, And we actually maintained some contact after this flight. And I came to discover that this was really a nice person, a decent person, just didn't have that same culture of offense about people's feet as I did coming from the perspective that I came from. So I share all of this to say that sometimes when we're in these multicultural situations, we may see things and can even be offended by some things or surprised by some events. And most often, it's really not about you. And you have to look a little bit deeper and be willing to engage a little bit deeper to see that the meaning for the other person may be entirely different than whatever meaning you may be assigning to it, because your meaning is based on your cultural lens and your cultural filters, and those may not apply in another setting. So the bottom line of this whole thing is, don't be so quick to judge, because what might be seen as ordinary in one culture might be seen as quite extraordinary in a negative way in another culture, and vice versa. And also, your measuring stick and your measuring lens is not necessarily the ultimate yardstick or the ultimate truth. And I especially say that to my American colleagues, because very often that term that we've heard before, the ugly American that often gets said when we're traveling abroad, is because we bring our filters and lenses not realizing that we actually have filters and lenses. We think we have the ultimate truth on what should be considered right or wrong. And don't consider that sometimes other people's lenses may actually be predominant in that culture and have just as much validity as what we're paying attention to. So in the cross-cultural world, it takes 
some understanding, some willingness to listen from a different perspective, and to recognize that other filters may be in operation. So have fun abroad as you are flexible and agile and willing to embrace other cultures. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources. Thank you.